Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydoke, have asked a friend to choose a Doctor Who story to nominate their favourite things about it. I then have to watch, commentate along and try to guess what my guests' favourite things are. So, I'm Andrew Smith. Uh, I'm a writer and um, in relation to Doctor Who, I wrote Full Circle and for the last 10 years plus, I've contributed several stories to uh, the Big Finish audio ranges for Doctor Who and other titles. So, Toby, for uh, my contribution to this excellent series of yours, I've selected The Dominators. Welcome back, everybody. Toby Haydoke here, watching The Dominators. Uh, one of the only three five-part serials in Doctor Who history, uh, and one of two that wasn't originally intended to be five parts. Uh, but maybe we'll get into that at some point later in proceedings. I, as you heard, have been set to the task of watching this story by Andrew Smith, writer of a great Doctor Who story, Full Circle. Um before this podcast, I would not have considered the Dominators to be great, apart from for a story with mining uh, being a great bore. Uh, however, I've quite enjoyed parts one and two. Uh, so let's see what we make. I mean, you know, that's with the caveat that I'm deliberately trying to be positive. Um, you know, were I to were I to be holding up it up against other troutons i think it might uh, it might struggle but nonetheless let's you know i am trying to accentuate the positive and i have managed so to do in my head so i've been enjoying this so there's nothing wrong with that so uh let's see what happens on the planet dull kiss <laughs> uh, uh yeah even even uh, a kiss from one of the dulcians would be dull um they're, they're those kind of people um let us watch episode three, starting in three, two, one. Dum ba dum dum ba dum 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 dum. So I will ask Alexa, volume five. Sorry, I always forget to do something. There's quite a lot to set up when you do these things. I film it from a couple of angles. I have to set up the. Uh, the microphone, Alexa, volume four. Um, uh, and I always forget to do something. Anyway, here we are. At least it shows that, um, just in case you weren't sure, this is very much a one-man band, uh, which is why I would send you uh, in haste to my Patreon page to enable me to maybe do these things better. Um, anyway, look, uh, everyone's prone to forget things as the production team of The Dominators were because... Whoever's job it was to stick up the episode three caption, which presumably might have been in that uh, filmed reprise, uh, reprise, reprise, um, forgets to do. So is this the only classic series Doctor Who without an episode caption? Maybe. I love Maurice Barry's thing of going, let's just get the Dominators to stand on the hill with a quark. And Ronald Allen there with one foot... Uh, slightly askew and higher than the other looks great and Morris Barry does like his uh, you know his 
is crash zooms, which are rather funky. Oh, that was quite a nice, as the Dominators came together and the camera was moving too. He, he really is a different beast. He's, he's, I, I don't think he's the most imaginative studio director, but uh, he, he, he keeps it funky with the, with the camera. I, I don't, you know, it may be, you know, that he, he had gifted film cameramen who he allowed to do whatever they wanted. But uh, certainly the shooting of uh, the Tomb of the Cybermen film stuff is, is gorgeous. Um, uh, oh, Zoe's, uh, yeah, Zoe's had to uh, hoik up her, her dress strap there. That had fallen, fallen askew. Um, never noticed that before. I don't normally look for such things, let's be honest. I think the quarks look rather good, actually. They, they slightly plod a bit when their feet are going up and down. Um, but, but no, other than that, other than that, good. I, I like this performance here, but I, rem I remember sort of reading the cast list and going, I don't know who Bovim is, I don't know what he does, and he's the sort of, he's the other counsellor, but it's, uh, uh, Alan Gerard is, is nicely, uh, nicely sort of pompous. And I remember, did, did I say this last episode? Sorry, it's, it's been a couple of days since I saw the last episode, so forgive me if I repeat myself, but The Dominators repeats itself quite a lot. Uh, uh, I, I, I won't threaten to destroy you and then get interrupted by my superior a hundred times. So, uh, you know. Um, but Alan Gerard is very good, uh, or very different at least, in an episode of The Avengers that uh, I saw him in playing a tattooist. Um, uh, Kenneth Ives is... Uh, he's, he's Hawkeye in... Uh, the BBC Last of the Mohicans, where he headlines above two of the world's best actors, um, Philip Maddock and John Abeneri. Uh But he's DC's he's good as, as, as Hawkeye. Uh, often those heroes are the least. I mean, he's no Daniel Day-Lewis. It's a very, it's a very BBC early seventies Hawkeye. Um, but the, I, the, I'd, I'd forgotten. Well, I'd, it hadn't quite. I'd always considered the the dominators to be just sort of large shouldered fellows but the sort of tortoise things really uh sticking out to me uh, on on this particular watch and i don't think that's a, a ludicrous idea um you know with limited resources they've you know we're often you know come on how many episodes of star trek have i seen or you know star trek spin-offs where where you know some you know it's a humanoid with a lumpy face uh, and that was with much bigger resources uh, at their disposal so uh, you know an attempt to change the body shape uh, and and the actors seem to be sort of you know looming and poking their heads out um it's uh, it's uh, Walter Fitzgerald was a was a, a fine and high, highly regarded actor but he's he's totally wasted here um Doctor Who has a bit of that going on during this period. I mean, Esmond Knight was a hugely respected actor and plays Domicigri in The Space Pirates. Nobody even bothered to take a photograph of him. Um, Troughton's great, isn't he? Um, and, and, yeah, did I... What well, Now, I've got to remember what I nominated last time. Oh, it was, it was Troughton playing the fool. Uh, and in episode one, uh, it doesn't matter, you know, I don't, uh, it was, 
think it was something to do with the nuclear power, wasn't it? Because I've got Ronald Allen's excellent performance in reserve. Oh, I do like uh, uh, Arthur Cox. He was also the driver, regulars that uh, uh, popped in and out of yes, yes minister, yes prime minister, as as the driver. He's uh, I saw him play Sir Andrew Ajucic at the Ludlow Festival, directed by Arturo Vila from the War Games, and his uh, no, he wasn't Andrew Ajucic. He was Sir Toby Belch, and Andrew Ajucic, his his partner in crime, was. Uh, Giuliano from The Mask of Mandragora. I was so lucky being brought up in Ludlow because you'd have this visiting theatre company and there was usually somebody from, from Doctor Who uh, or quite a few people from Doctor Who. Um, who else was in that? Uh, it doesn't matter. You don't care. Um, I I think Maria was... Yeah, because she was married to Michael Napier, Brown, Arturo Villa, was um, Vilma Hollingberry, who's the lady whose leg grows back in The Doctor Dances. Anyway, uh, it's actually, the, it's, it's batting back and forth from, uh, from the various scenes with a certain amount of, uh, of pace. And um, what, is he playing Sabutio? What's, what, what on earth is Walter Fitzgerald doing with that thing on the table? It's almost like it just got bored there and went. There's a there's a bit of the set here. I'll I'll play with this weeble. It's a weeble that wobbles and it won't fall down. What on earth was that? Um, maybe I wasn't paying attention. And he said, "I shall consult the space weeble um, or the weeble of peace." Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, you've got me there," says the doctor. Uh, so lovely. Now, did I mention last week that the two non-speaking council members? have a Quatermass connection. One is Aubrey Danvers-Walker, uh, who pops up in all sorts of other stuff as well. And the Danvers-Walkers were, were, were quite a family. There's a, there's a, there's a Michael Danvers-Walker, who's an actor, who's an out-of-the-unknown, and was an extra in the Quatermass experiment. He's, I think, one of the last survivors of the Quatermass experiment. I've, uh, uh, I've corresponded with Michael a couple of times. And Aubrey was, I think, also called Bob. Danvers Walker and was also a playwright but did tiny parts on telly or um, you know extra work and actually Michael Danvers Walker is sometimes just credited as Danvers Walker um, and is in an episode of The Prisoner um, I love these two Ronald Mansell and John Cross as the sort of as the gossipy old uh, <laughs> extra not extra but um, un unnamed sort of co the, the chorus they, they're, they're like the Arak and Etta of the Dulcis Council uh, is this this sort of gossipy pedantic uh, pair um, you know pointless bureaucrats um, but and the other one who you don't see as much as you see of Aubrey Danvers Walker is Malcolm Watson uh, who is the only person to be in all three uh of the original Quatermasses. That's quite a spooky shot. Uh, the, 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 of you know, they're, 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 you know, they're looking at the. There's always something. There's always something. I think looking about, uh, looking at a television screen, and a and a monster comes on. It's it's sort of. Uh, uh, I think there's something to do with the fact that you can't affect it and you can't touch it, and you know the person that you're trying to communicate with has been usurped by a creature and all the incongruity that goes with that. I like that. That was effective. I think the quarks are, are actually rather... I think I've rather taken the quarks for granted in, in, in previous viewings. I, I, th I, th I think they... 
I think they're nice. Uh, yeah, ni- a nice design. I think I will talk about the voice, but I'll finish on Malcolm. What's it, Bernard? You come, Dad, Dad. Oh, Bernard was going to come and join me, and he's gone to sit on another chair. That's a shame. Um, Malcolm Watson is an extra, is also an extra in the Quatermass Experiment, as is Aubrey Danvers Walker. They were in the same scenes together, actually. Um, but then Malcolm Watson is uh, has, has a credit as a member of the commission in Quatermass 2, and uh, a credit and some lines as... Uh, um, a museum, the museum attendant in episode one of Quatermass in the Pit. So he's in all three of uh, the 1950s Quatermass serials. But I think this is his only Doctor Who. And he died in the early 70s, 71, 72, I think. Um, now, the quarks. Uh, here's a thing. Oh, I think I mentioned this last time. The, the, uh, the voices, I think, are a brilliant idea. I think they just need a bit of chatty m- m- malevolence. Um uh, and and it they don't quite pull it off. The the book I remember, I, I did mention this last time from Ian Marta. He's very good at sort of as oh I love the way this is brilliant. The way that they all walk past and give their opinion. Those two stand there. Zoe and Callie stand there, sort of you know d- doing that. We should do something, or should we? And 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 Balan and and everybody sort of walk past with their hexagonal rocks and go. I, I sh-, Balan goes. You shouldn't. You should. We should submit. Because I'm the old stick in the mud, Kando goes. No, 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 I'm I'm a bit useless and the lady, so I need to back up uh, Balan. And then Teal goes. Ah, yes, but uh, I'm a get a bit of a go between, and also I'm the young heroic boy, and so therefore I will show a little bit of vim and vigor and a propensity to perhaps uh, break out of the. Uh, otherwise entrenched pacifism that will d- destroy us all. So, um, and and uh, I don't know. There, it, it's almost like you need something from Balan and Kando um, to, to make to make them both a bit more interesting. I like the bit in in episode one where you know Kando Kando is uh, Kando Kando is is doing her. Um, I'm going to tell you the stuff that I've learnt and Balan is prompting her. I think that's rather nice. But thereafter, the story isn't quite sure what to do with them apart from them to repeat the mantra that, you know, we're we're very submissive uh, and it'll all be fine. Um, Troughton's really trying... <laughs> Troughton's really trying to... Remember Rob saying he, he, he feels that, that Troughton's not great in this and it's his laziest performance. But I think if you if you're rewiring a... Rob Shearman, that is, in Running Through Corridors. If you're rewiring a, a, a travel capsule and you end up with your, with your head underneath the camera and your legs sticking in the air, I think you're having a go at trying to make it interesting. I think those head shapes... I think because it means that their heads can turn completely around and you get the impression that they're looking at you whichever way they are. I th- uh, 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 and I quite like that. And the, and the sort of round... The round bits within the different sections of the head. I think I think the quarks are are great, and that they, they were in a they were in a Doctor Who magazine store uh, comic strip. Was it a was it a one off? Because I didn't have many copies of Doctor Who magazine. I only had the ones that had been sort of bestowed by a friend or were lying around. And and I remember it, they it seeming that they were rather special because they'd got their own spin off. But it's a, it's a bit odd to go. Our replacement for the Daleks, our brand new aliens, 
are servants of these other aliens that are essentially tall actors shouting at each other. Because unless, you know, they had a plan, I guess, with like with the Daleks of going, you know, that main thing about them that they can't move outside of their own city. Now that they're really popular, we'll forget about that and they can do whatever they blooming well like. Would I wonder the quarks of returned and it just be like i thought they could only be servants of the mighty dominators and so went, no no they've outgrown them or the dominators are all up in the spaceship up there um or whether yeah we would have had to have always had a pair of dominators um to accompany the quarks as they became the next big thing in the doctor universe which uh, they were prevented from being because the writers fell out with derek sherwin because he felt that this story needed to lose an episode and i remember in the the, the doctor who magazine uh, uh special where they interviewed every single producer which i remember being really disappointing to me it's mad now because it's a brilliant thing to have done because i wanted pictures from stories and i wanted cast lists and all of that sort of thing there's a doctor who magazine summer special with an interview with every producer i remember derek show and saying we lost an episode of the dominators and because i was so fixated on missing episodes i thought that he meant we lost an episode i.e there was an episode missing and that meant the fact that we had them all now meant that one had been found. It's it's amazing how you can sort of misinterpret something. I, but, but bear in mind, I was I was very young. Um, uh, but of course, what he meant was they lost an episode of The Dominators, i.e. this was supposed to be a six-parter. Uh, and they decided there's not enough going on. So truncated it down to five. Um, which is a surprise because... I have to say, I think the Abominable Snowmen and the Web of Fear neither outstay their welcome. And actually, the the way that both build to a climax, uh, I mean, I think the Abominable... We know that we always think of the Web of Fear as being quite hard-nosed because it's modern and it's military. But actually, the way that episode f- five, I think, of, of the Abominable Snowmen builds to a climax is really quite action-packed and, 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 and gritty um, and... and, and and rather fabulous um but you know the, the, there is a with with this it, it, it doesn't see i don't think you could ever get gritty with these you know betogered old guys um who who much as i enjoy the bickering of the of of the two sort of chorus uh, f- figures um you, you, you know that this is not the most dynamic uh, of environs, even though Brian Kant from Playaway comes in, uh, I am now obsessed with that Perspex Subutio man on on the table. Um, what, what was Walter Fitzgerald doing with it? Um, but G- Brian Kant doesn't uh, doesn't need it. He's doing I'm holding my wedding ring finger acting, uh, which is always a good trick for an actor if you're not quite sure what to do with your hands. Uh, it, it, it means you don't have them by the side, but it means you're also not gesticulating with them. It's very, very, very sensible piece of let, let's get rid of these flappy limbs. I need to do something. Um, oh, yeah, I love the fact that they need to call in a man to go. So we're not quite sure what to do. Well, let's let's get our specialist in. And he goes, well, and, and it's almost like these are three official subsections of uh, of uh, Dulcian modus operandi. What is it? Uh, f- fight, flee or surrender or something like that. And it's a, 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 
and, and the idea that you you need somebody to sort of do an inquiry to boil it down to those three choices, I think is rather quaint. Um, and I think Tense is supposed to be the sort of young, thrusting member of the committee. He's the sort of hot-headed maverick MP who's coming up through the ranks. And I, I love the fact that it's Brian Kant, who I watched recently on Happy Times and Places, being uh, Kurt Gantry, hard-bitten space hero, um, security service guy, mortally wounded Dalek fodder in episode one of the Daleks Master Plan. But of course, to generations of English viewers, he was a children's TV favourite uh, in a programme called Play Away uh, and and is, is you know, something of a, a, a very welcome piece of the televisual furniture. And one of those people, it was quite a surprise when you grew up to realise was an actor you know you 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 sort of thought of your people on children's television as children's television guys but actually he's a you know a perfectly good character actor and there are some you know play school presenters who were you know fine actors who've cropped up in doctor as well i think colin jevons did play school didn't he and and chris tranchell and uh, all sorts um and jeremy irons did play away so you know there's no there's we we you know uh, we typecast actors at, at our peril and indeed theirs because then it makes you go should I take this job because what if you know somebody watching thinks that's all I can do um, uh, and Brian Kant also has a who claim to fame well not claim to fame but um, nice connection is that his son Richard Kant uh, is the guy that knocks on the door with the letter for um, Sally Sparrow from from her friend, uh, uh, Mrs. N Miss Nightingale, who's been sent back in time, um, uh, and says, "You know, this I got this from my grandmother. She gave it to me and told me to come to this this house on this day." You know, uh, that's Richard Kant, who's a, a a fine, busy character actor in his own right. I saw him on stage with an old chum of mine, uh, and with also with uh, Jeff Stretfield and with Matt Bardock and various others in. Uh, my night with Reg at the West End uh, a few years ago. Um, ah, that's why it's handy that the museum has a working laser gun in it, even though if I was in charge of health and safety on Dulcis, um, I would go, I think we maybe decommission uh, this. That's a nice close-up of Arthur Cox. Um, and I like the, the, the quark's head in the sights of the laser gun. That's quite sort of tense. It's, nothing, it's always a bit tense when you've got something in the sights because you're expecting uh, somebody to pull the trigger. And James walked in with his size 10s and ruined it all. Um, and now, is he missed? Yeah, he can't shoot them now. That's, that's a shame because you're kind of hoping that he's going to laser blast a quark. Um, uh and they're, what I like about the quarks as well is that they've got, because they've got the two arms that you see sticking out, but then beneath that they've got another two things that look like they could be arms or they could have attachments. And I think anything that looks like it's got, you know, you could stick a claw on the end or do something differently with it or or that has potential to 
to do something that humans can't do. You know, it's like a Swiss, it's like a Swiss army bot, isn't it? The, the quark, it, you know, potentially with that, with that design, I think is, is rather winning and rather fun. And I really like the way that they recharge as they do later and equalize their power. This is, this is brilliant. Troughton, Troughton, Troughton just acted that superbly because he ducked before he came back up again. So it made the journey up to the, the sort of shoulders, not quite making the shoulders of, of Toba, even more of a comic juxtaposition. I love all these shots of the quarks in the valleys with the, you know, with their slaves moving around. Oh, there's, we've got to keep an eye on Troughton's location double. Uh, uh, because, uh, uh, yeah, we, uh, yeah. So actually, if that film had been in phase, which it's not, um, we, you know, we could have had a little look at his face there, but it was so blurry and it was such a quick movement. They sort of get away with it. Um, but I love all this stuff on film with the, and I think, I think they look good. And Ken, Kenneth Ives is putting a lot of energy into it. Sometimes when you play, you know, uh, a, an alien, you can sort of stride around much more slowly because that's, that's supposed to be sort of slightly more dignified, but he, he puts a lot of energy into it and he's good. Kenneth Ives, he's good. I think it's just quite a tricky part because he's, you know, he's, is just a hothead and a sadist, uh, but he, he, you know, he 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 puts loads into it. I like, yeah, I like the the quarks zappy with the laser. Good, good, good the way that they move there. But I think so. We're going to pretty much have the same uh, the same cliffhanger as before, but this time it's uh, it's 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 Jamie and Kelly in the museum. Now that's slightly awkward because when we saw the quark before, oh, a bit's just fallen off him. Um, he was in studio and then we've cut to location. And I think that's always a little bit awkward um, because it it, 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 it it points to the fact that we're not. It, I think it would have been a bit more helpful to have. Oh, that's good, though, that the quark's head is is wobbling even after it's blown up. Yeah, it's a slightly awkward mix between studio and location there. But it means we get the impression that there are more quarks than there actually are. And it means that we get a clark. That's what we've been waiting to see all episode. Uh, not that, uh, a piece of cardboard falling onto Arthur Cox. Um, but uh, a quark getting zapped and blown to bits. And that was fun. Uh, so the museum is the most unfortunate museum in the history of museums, this. But that's a nice shot. And he, yeah, he's enjoying that. Uh, but, but you can never, because that studio, you can never do a particularly massively satisfying explosion. That, that, that set's looking a bit the worse for wear, really, isn't it? But, uh, and yeah, we're sort of back where we started, except this time it's, it's uh, Jamie and Cully rather than Zoe and Cully. But uh, plenty, in, plenty in there? Yeah. Some, yeah. I think so. Um... I've just got to remember, because I can't choose what Andrew has already chosen. Uh, he chose uh, he chose the quarks, didn't he, for for episode one, and then uh, something really random for episode two. Um, for episode three, Ronald Allen wasn't in that much, was he? Um, I'm I'm tempted to choose my council members, but they do I do recall they have a really good bit next episode. So I might save them. I'm saving things up for the future, which can be foolhardy. Um, but I, th 
I think I think my favourite thing about that episode has got to be exploding quarks, and and there's quite a few, and I, I I seem to recall there's a lot of fun later on when when Cully and Jamie just spend the whole thing charging around, dropping rocks and blowing up quarks, and I and that's that's part of the fun of this story, I think, is the you know the, the, there's only three quark actors, but there are more that there are more quark. Um, uh, robots you know within the story it's just you know they're 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 cleverly filmed and it's it's cheated um and i think as a result one of the positive things we get because you know i'm still a child at heart and i'm it's if i want to enjoy watching robots getting blown to smithereens i can uh and i and i love the way that it, it cut to that blown up quark and its head was still moving that was you know if you were watching that in the 60s or as a kid you'd go whoa that's just amazing um, and because we were sort of promised it a couple of times with the, I thought very well done the the, the quarks in Cully's sights. Then Jamie comes in and ruins it. So they so they teased us a couple of times, and then uh, then yeah, boom, um, uh, explodo quark. So exploding quarks is my favourite thing about episode three of the Dominators. What is going to be Andrew Smith's favourite thing? about episode three of The Dominators. Okay, now it's time to pick my favourite thing from episode three. Uh, and again, it's a, it's a fairly close-run thing, and um, the one I nearly went for was some of the best fake rock lifting that I think we've seen <laughs> in the history of the series, right across uh, the cast of uh, uh, Dulcian's uh, and Zoe, Wendy Padbury, uh, doing their slave bit for The Dominators. Um, although I think there was at least one that Cully was carrying that was an actual genuine rock, uh, seeing as he didn't have uh, Foley artists at that time, I don't think, for when he, he dropped the rock and I went clunk on the studio floor. Um, but no, it wasn't that. That wasn't quite my favourite thing. My favourite thing was Brian Kant appearing as Tensa. Um, I'd forgotten he was in it. Uh, and he comes in and he's... Uh, it's a breath of fresh air, really, this much younger guy amongst uh, these fairly interchangeable Dulcian uh, leaders um, who are all, yeah, pretty much of a muchness. He comes in and he, he does a really good job in a short scene, uh, but the right amount of gravity and earnestness and, um, uh, yeah, very good. And also there is a personal angle to this, as, as with the quarks. Brian Kant, um, again, takes me back to my childhood. I remember him so well in uh, Play School and Play Away. Uh, yeah, so Brian Kant as Tensor was my favourite thing in episode three. Yeah, well, I think that's a good choice. And I actually, I what I love about Doctor Who, well, there's many things I love about Doctor Who, but I love the fact that it's a programme that allows us to have somebody like Brian Kant, who you know, who uh, I'm, I may be wrong, but I, I suspect he he didn't get as many sort of straight acting roles as he might have liked or deserved, or an actor of his his capabilities would, because of being associated with children's programmes and stuff like that. But because Doctor Who has this slightly fantastical element because it's a bit of the televisual furniture where the rules are not quite the same as they are in other programs um and i know other programs you know sometimes cast people against type and you get surprising appearances from you know a, a comedian in casualty or something like that but i i, I think doctor who 
does allow us to have, you know, performances from comedians playing straight roles and therefore being a bit of a surprise or somebody that's well known. I mean, really early on, you know, Alan Wheatley was well known for playing a villain, the 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 TV villain, the the villainous sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood is immediately cast as the peacefulest man of peace of the most peaceful races of all uh, uh, as, as Temesis in the Daleks early on in the show. And, and you know, that that's kind of set the show up to go, we, we will give actors a chance, actors who you will associate with other things, because we need people that you kind of know and like and are comfortable with because we're going to take you to crazy alien worlds. Um, uh, but But we're going to throw down the gauntlet and say but come on do something that you're not used to doing and they'll go this is brilliant because i'm normally asked to you know dance a jig and say hello children or i'm normally asked to be villainous and i'm being heroic or you know whatever it is or i'm normally asked to be funny and uh and, and i'm being a baddie or you know whatever or in bernard's breastless case i'm normally used to being seen <laughs> Um, but I, I, I really do like that about Doctor, and I, I'm aware well, that's very much me because I'm a, I'm an actor spotter, and I like actors and, and all of that sort of thing, and I get great joy. But I, I, I do like, I do like it when actors are given a chance to do something different because I know how nice that must have felt, and I, and I think it adds to the great mosaic of what makes Doctor Who wonderful. That you can have Brian Kant, um, you know, fixture and icon of children's television um play a hard-bitten mortally wounded space guy and then um you know the thrusting young buck of dulcian politics uh so good choice um but i didn't choose it i chose exploding quarks and i love the fact that doctor who can have exploding quarks too but uh andrew chose brian kant as tensor and uh well, let's see if the story gets tenser as it continues next time. We'll reconvene then. But in the meantime, thanks very much for listening. Take care. Thank you very much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest this time around is Andrew Smith, who can be found on Twitter at Andrew Smith capital A, capital S, and the E of Andrew is the number three. I'm grateful to him and to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Ruben Herfindahl, Peter Burns, Peter Harness, Ronald Hayden, Rob Leonard, Christopher Meredith, Stephen Moffat, Richard Straw, Nick Tedston, Luke Atkins, Peter Adamson, John Arnold, Kevin Ashelford, Will Brooks, Richard Byatt, Robin Bland, Alex Kafajoglu, Paul Carnahan, Andy Case, John Curley, Mark Dakin, John Ellidge, Sam Esterem, Gary Gillett, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, David Green, Fraser Gregory, Dave Hoskin, Jessica Jones and Andrew Jordan. The music is by Dave Gapes and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you would like to join their number, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Toby where for as little as £3 a month you can get mentioned on these podcasts and you can also get 
advanced releases, bonus material, exclusive access, and all sorts of other things, including pictures of my dog. I know. Uh, and as I say, £3 a month is the lowest tier. They go up to, well, I mean, you can pay whatever you want, uh, but uh, £3 uh, can also uh, be reduced slightly if you sign up for a year and uh, then you get 10% off whatever tier you sign up for 10% off if you sign up for a year in one go that's patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock if you can't commit to a monthly thing but occasionally want to chuck something my way you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock that's very straightforward too but I know times are tough and they're getting tougher so I'm just grateful to you for listening and I hope these have brightened your day in some way or at least just galvanized you or just made you glad you're not me um, but I'll tell you what you can do that costs you nothing, which would be really helpful to me if you can spare the time, is go to iTunes or Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts from and leave these a couple of lines of positive review and the all-important five-star rating. Thank you. I'm a stand-up comedian too. I do a monthly show online at twitch.tv forward slash malarkey. That's the letter X, the letter S, and then malarkey, M-A-L-A-R-K-E-Y. That is the online version of the weekly comedy show I do in Manchester and have done for the past 24 years. Yes, I've been at the same place for 24 years. There's a career trajectory that no one wants to boast about. Uh, it's a not-for-profit comedy club that puts on the best comics from the live circuit. And we don't let it stag do's or hen do's or office parties. It's all about the comedy. And I'm the regular MC, and that's Excess Malarkey in Manchester at the Breadshed at 8pm every Tuesday night. It's on Twitter, at Excess Malarkey, if you want to find out more about it. And that Twitch channel has an archive of videos too. Well, as I'm recording this, uh, very sadly, as I uh, so when I was uh, doing the, uh, the the commentary for this, Kenneth Ives uh, was was still with us. But uh, as I've been preparing this for uh, putting it up online for the patrons, it'll be later for you if you're non-patrons. That's just the way that uh, the schedule falls. Uh, Kenneth died aged 87. Um, I actually didn't write to him about Doctor Who. Um, we'd we'd tried to get him for the commentary and for the um, uh, documentary for the DVD. It's one of the first commentaries I did, but uh, John Kelly, the producer, said that Kenneth rang back and was very, very nice, but just said he didn't really talk about his past, his past work, not his acting work, anyway. Um, yeah, I think he just didn't want to, didn't want to go back, but was perfectly nice and perfectly amiable. Um, but we didn't get him, and uh, it's it's odd because I and and then I wrote to him because he's uh, he's got an uncredited part in the film Equator Mass of the Pit. I thought, well, maybe I'll try that. Because maybe he just, but he, he always sent signed photos back to people who sent him photos of his Doctor Who. But I was trying to be a bit professional, so I didn't send a photo. I should have done, shouldn't I? <laughs> uh, but that sometimes doesn't work when I send a thing saying I'm being very professional and writing a thing. But I understand if you don't want to take part. But if you could just, if if, if you don't want to take part, but use this uh, stamp dressed envelope just to send back this signed picture, then I'll then I'll know. And that doesn't even work. And then people I know who just send a picture, get it signed and sent back. So there's no reason why why some people sometimes reply and why sometimes they don't. Perhaps they forget. Perhaps they just hate me. Um, or you know, whatever, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's a risky business. Anyway, so I never heard back from Kenneth, but I heard nice things from the people that he spoke to. And 
I don't know, you know, chances are if I had had a chance to speak to him, he remembered much anyway. And I've interviewed loads of people who've either not remembered much or what they have remembered hasn't been true. But yet I still, I suppose it's selfish, I still like the, I like to have, it's like a notch on the bedpost, isn't it? But mine's not on the bedpost, it's on my character actor's roster. Uh, I like to feel I've had a personal collection. I don't know why, um, uh, but uh, I don't know. Uh, So, uh, Kenneth, it was not to be. But nonetheless, what he leaves us is more important than that. Uh, he leaves us a lovely contribution to Doctor Who that we will watch forever and ever and ever. And that's not bad. So uh, thanks, Kenneth Ives. <laughs>